Hello, and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. And I'm Creston. I'm Noah Gibbs. And today we are going to talk about uh, something that's really interesting for all of us. Hey, Poto, welcome to the chat. Um, that we're going to talk about kind of the marrying of childhood development and programming. Uh, it'll be a really interesting topic, and since all of us homeschool, we're all of us kind of interested deeply in both of those topics. Um, so makes sense. Hey, fair. How's it going? Uh, but before we get into the meat of the conversation, it is time for weekend review. Creston, how was your week? Pretty good. Most recently, uh, I guess I'll have two things I'll mention. The first is I actually read a book a week or two ago um, called 10x is easier than 2x. And as a result, I'm kind of refocusing on what I should be spending my time on. And unfortunately, one area I have chosen to sacrifice for building in other areas is the live streaming and the game development I was working on. So not that I'm killing it, but I'm putting it on hiatus. So my apologies to those who are watching the stream, but I'm kind of going to put it on hiatus, or at least it's not going to be an every week thing. If the mood strikes, I might do some more streaming. Yeah. But, you know, because of my refocusing of priorities, I'm kind of, unfortunately, that was on the cutting room floor, as they say. <laughs> um, in terms of other piece of news I'll share is um, we had a really good success with doing some query optimization for a client. So whenever I do that, I always go in wanting, oh, I want to be able to improve it by like a thousand fold if I can. You know, that's always the goal. Uh, it's rare, I don't know, rarely achieved. You know, it depends on how much optimization optimization's already been done. But I found a way to do something and I got um, over 500 times faster with a particular query. So I'm like, nice. all right, that, that's awesome. It's like... I work and it's like, I try this thing, that didn't work. Try this thing, that didn't work. Try this. Well, that didn't work either. And I, <laughs> I start getting freaked out. But then I'm like, victory! <laughs> Eureka! I did it! So I'm like, yes, okay. So even though I study Postgres immensely and I have the show that I do every week, I don't just know immediately how to, oh, I know how to make this super duper fast. I'm still learning. It's kind of like, you know, the more you know, the more you know you don't what you don't know. <laughs> so right. It's like there's so much I've yet to learn, even though I've been on this journey for so long. Anyway, that was a long winded, but that's kind of what I've been doing this week. What about you? Uh so I got um I was actually kind of excited because Tuesday we were doing the the Cave Lords uh, game dev stream and we I got the uh, wave function collapse algorithm actually building maps in the in the thing so the the maps are a little weird yet but that has more to do with how I've defined the rules for the particular tile set rather than the WFC but the WFC function is actually working which was really exciting um, and doing awesome. what I what I wanted it to do so um, that was a that was a big big ball of fun there on Tuesday. Um, and then, like you said, we, we've 
Crest and I have been talking about reevaluating priorities and, and doing things. So there are going to be some differences coming to the channel. Um, we're not going to abandon the channel and we'll lay some more of these out at the end of this, the stream. So stick around and we'll be, um, you know, kind of putting, putting information out uh, on the social media channels over the next week or so about how things are going to line up. But um, one of the things that, that will not be going away is the Cave Lords Tuesday stream. I'm still going to do that because for me, that's just a fun break for me. Um, so I'm not doing that for any particular reason to build audience or anything. It's just a fun, fun thing for me to do. Um, and, you know, I kind of need that break from work usually on Tuesdays because Mondays are meeting Mondays and just on Tuesday afternoon, I'm like, okay, stop. <laughs> just <laughs> hold on. Um, so that won't be changing, but some other changes will come. We will still have the show, uh, but there will be some, some, uh, differences in how things are run, but, uh, fear not, we're, we're still going to be here. Um, so that's kind of, uh, my good week. How are you doing, Noah? I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, my week is, uh, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little off balance. So I'm in the middle of switching teams at work. Oh, uh, I've been doing uh, YJets, which is the, these days the built-in Ruby JIT for a couple of years here. I'm staying at Shopify, and I'm staying in the Ruby and Rails development group, but I'm switching from the deep down in Ruby internal side to the Rails side. Ah. I mean, I've done both, both, both before, but they're very different teams. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm learning everything new and I'm I'm finding out all the things that this other half of my department has been working on for years. and. Yeah, just kind of everything's off balance. Um, at, you mentioned that you've got, you know, your Cape Lords thing as a, um, as a as a kind of a break. And for the same reason, like I've been doing a bunch of uh, writing on Scarpe, which is the the open source project I've been doing in spare time for a while. Just because yeah. when I'm off balance, you know, I play piano or I go work on open source. Right. <laughs> so off balance, but exciting, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think there'll be some great stuff here. Like, yeah. it, it's kind of weird because I've been doing Ruby stuff for a really long time, and I felt almost embarrassed that I'm like this senior guy that's been doing Ruby forever, and I didn't I, like I, I had a couple of commits in Ruby, but nothing big. And you know, then I did Yjet, and I got a bunch of stuff in Ruby. Um, and like, I've done a bunch of Rails stuff, but I don't I don't actually have any commits in Rails. And so, boy, that this is going to fix that. Well, <laughs> not not instantly. Not in the next week, right. probably, but like soon. <laughs> You're awesome. 10 times further ahead of us in terms of open source software. Is that even funny? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's kind of a silly thing, but I guess it's one more reminder. Kind of like, you know, you're talking about how, how you've been doing Postgres forever, but you, you're just, you're not instantly melded with the, the Postgres hive mind, you know, in the same way. Um, there's a bunch I've done and yet you know, there's a bunch of, of stuff that, uh, you know, there are people who've been working on Rails for like three months, been, you know, coding for two years, working on Rails for three months that have commits in Rails and, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm even older than I look, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I don't look that old, but I am, uh, but, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't managed to get a commit into rails yet, but I think I'm going to fix that. Uh, yeah. So I've been doing a bunch on Scarpe. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about Scarpe, you know, on the, the topic of the, uh, the podcast here, but, yeah. um, here, I'll, I'll talk about this. Like the two of you don't know it. I'll, I'll just, I'll assume you actually know it. I'm talking for the viewers here. That's the sure. I always use when it's me. Like, yeah. you know, there's an awful lot I don't know, but I pretend it's for, for the for the unnamed ignorant viewer out there. Um, so there was a there was a guy that Ruby folks loved called Why the Lucky Stiff. And he's fantastic. Oh, yes. It's fantastic. 
uh, and he he evaporated back in what like 2012 or something like he's been mm -hmm. gone a while um, but he did a bunch of really cool software and some of it's still with us and some of it's you know gone away and a lot of it was just kind of mind bending but he wrote a GUI library called shoes and so we've been rebuilding his GUI library because there are the old versions of it that no longer work and we're we're getting to where there's a, a shoes version you can actually use that runs on modern Ruby like it'll it'll happen but it's you know it's happening one chunk at a time so when I say I put a bunch of time into open source stuff like that's what we're doing is we're re rebuilding uh wise GUI library yeah which is really cool I, I've been following that and it's it's fun and in fact um you know the I met Noah for the first time on one of the Scarpe hangouts um and that's kind of how this show came to be we started talking about this this topic of childhood development and and programming and how that kind of stuff kind of fits together and I said oh this would be a great show so here we are getting to talk about that. And I've been looking forward to this for, I guess it was about a month ago we had that that hangout, give or take. And that, um, yeah. yeah, and uh, I've really been looking forward to this talk because it's two two topics that I'm really interested in. Um, obviously, because I've made a living on one of them for 25 years, but also I've raised three kids. So, um, you know, it's just been an, an, an interest of mine to understand how their brains work and how you develop those things. So, um Without much further ado, let's get into the meat of this. So childhood development and um, programming, um, it's probably not something that a lot of people think of together, um, but it's actually been around, that con the concepts of that have been around for quite a long time. You brought up in our, in our um, uh, chat this, this uh, programming language called Logo. Um, which was, I think, developed by MIT, and it's it's been around for, gosh, I want to say since what, like the the seventies. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I, I tend to say Seymour Papert. But uh, sorry, go ahead, Kristen. I remember at a young age using Logo. So yes, yeah, since the seventies. <laughs> so, and and Logo, for those of you who don't know, is is kind of a, a Lisp spinoff, um, and. Uh, ish and uh it's it's basically kind of a programming language for kids but it's more pseudo codish than real deep coding um it uses a lot more kind of natural language type things um i have a lot to say on that one but go on yeah by the way 19, 1967 so 67 so even a little older yeah so, yep. but yeah, this is, this is not, this is not a new concept, but I think it's one that I've never seen an interview or a talk show or anything or a podcast, listen to a podcast that, that talked about this concept. So I was really intrigued to, to get into this. So, um, why don't you start us with, off with a little bit of logo and what it is and, and how that works. And then let's, let's kind of expand on, um, your views there. So, um. I mentioned Seymour Papert. He's wrote, written a couple of great books, and you can tell that a lot of people have read his books in our field because one of them is named Mindstorms, which is to say that's what that series of Legos was named for. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we'll talk about that, as, you know, a bit, bit later. Um, no, so people knew computers were going to be big, and they figured out shortly after that, oh, shoot, we have to, like, teach kids about computers. We're going to get a computer in the classroom. What do we do? And uh, just like computers, I mean, computers move faster than than almost any of society was ready for. And and certainly, if you wind back to the 1960s, that was that was still true. Um, and so the teachers didn't have any idea what to do. And so Seymour Papert 
from uh, from the learning lab at MIT was one of the first people to sort of go, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this. Now, Papert was a student of Piaget. Uh, Piaget is one of those folks that most people have heard of, but don't realize they've heard of, because he was the guy that studied things like object permanence. You know, at a, at a certain age, when the ball rolls behind the chair, the baby figures out that the ball's still there. It's just behind the chair, and we'll go look for it. Really young baby doesn't figure that out. Ball goes away, ball comes back. Baby's not surprised either way. They're used to objects disappearing forever or coming back at random, you know, all the time. Like, if you're a baby, that's just how it works. Yeah. Um, but at some point, the baby figures out the ball's behind the chair. They'll go look for the ball behind the chair. If the ball's not behind the chair, they're going to figure out something's weird. You know, that's that's where they get surprised about objects not continuing to exist, object permanence. Um, and there's stuff like if you pour water from a tall, thin cup into a, into a short, fat cup, you know, at some point, a kid figures out they're the same amount. Of, uh, of liquid and earlier mm -hmm. than that they don't necessarily you know you ask the kid you ask a kid who's young enough they're going to say oh there's more in the tall thin one or whatever um so piaget piaget was recent enough i mean that, that, everything i said sounds like he could have been like i don't know a thousand ad or something but no he was recent <laughs> enough that a number of his students are still alive that's that's how recent piaget was uh and in fact papert was one of his students several mm -hmm. of the early computer folks like marvin minsky who was one of the big, big AI pioneers was one of his kids, very popular, or sorry, was one of his students, not his kids, um, very popular, Marvin Minsky, among Piaget's students, because he had twins, a boy and a girl, <laughs> and he was one of a big group of people studying childhood development. Everybody wanted to go talk to Marvin Minsky's boy and girl twin. <laughs> anyway, yeah, exactly. Um, I know anyway, the feeling. Pepper. Yeah. I've got twins, Pepper. so. Nice. Yeah. All right, I'm, I, I will try not to get, you know, off on that. There's a lot of fun stories there. Oh, I'll yeah. try not to yeah, get yeah. too far off track. Papert. So Papert was one of Piaget's students, which means he's against curriculums and the way classes tend to work and the way most teachers do what they do. And basically, he's a, he, he, was a, he was an educational revolutionary. And they basically went to him and said, we need a curriculum for computers. And so he's, you know, kind of grinning behind his hand and goes, oh, yes, yes, we can make this work. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mindstorms, by the way, is the book about this. It's a really good book. Um, so Papert, who's young and doesn't know what he can't do yet, and it's early in the computer revolution, and he's an engineer, and he doesn't know what he can't do yet, so he decides to do several things that are impossible, and he gets partway through several of them. It's awesome. Um, he decides, you know what we're going to do is we're going to make a thing where you can learn mathematics the way you learn to speak French in France instead of the way you learn to speak French in a classroom. We're going to make a we're going to make a, a world that is like native math in the computer, and so Logo is the attempt to do that, and he's doing it in the computer, but he's not he's not wild about the computer partly because you've only got one computer in the back of the classroom. Whatever he's doing, you don't have a lot of computer time, so if you focus yeah. too heavily on the computer, you lose. And the cool thing about Logo, so you mentioned it's a list derivative, which isn't quite how I'd categorize it. Logo's instructions are you've got a little turtle there, and you can tell it things like turn right thirty degrees go forward this distance, turn left 60 degrees, you know, go backward, pen up, which means stop drawing, pen down, start drawing. Like it really is geometric. All, all of the instructions are geometric. Mm -hmm. um, the important thing about that, because you might say, well, like turning degrees, that doesn't sound like something kids are gonna love. The important thing about that is you don't need a computer to do it. If one of you is writing a list of instructions, you grab another kid to be the turtle. And one kid reads the list of instructions while the other, yeah, there you go. You got it on the screen there. Yeah. One of you reads the list of instructions while the other kid is the turtle, which allows you to teach debugging without a computer. 
because mm-hmm. all you needed a paper list of instructions and the kid to go, oh, you moved the wrong way. No, you said turn 30 degrees. I turned 30 degrees. No, you moved the wrong way. Well, you look at the list of instructions and you figure out what the instructions should have been. Um, yeah, so pa- Papert's fantastic. Papert does all kinds of cool stuff, but he's, and, he also you know, doesn't love curriculum. And I remember like doing that. this as a kid. I was involved in a thing called uh, Odyssey of the Mind. It was kind of a competition of teams that from, you know, like around the state that would get together and you'd do these different things for different STEM areas um, and compete. And one of the, one of the things that we did as a team, and this was probably seventh or eighth grade, I didn't realize what this was, but we basically did this laid out a big grid on the floor with tape. And, you know, we had a a computer writing basic. We weren't using logo because I didn't know that was a thing, but we were doing it basic. And, and basically we had some person out there being the robot and we had to, you know, program them to go pick up these certain things and end up in a certain spot. And so, you know, we were doing this for real. I didn't know I was doing that, but, you know, it's kind of cool. Well, and you'll see echoes of it. Uh, you know, one, one kind of obvious thing with uh, kids and or, uh, with childhood development and computers, not that we've talked about it yet, is, you know, how do you how do you teach kids about programming? But there are some great sort of pre-programming board games. Uh, I don't know if you've got a copy of uh, Robot Turtles or a much older one called Robot Rally. They're, mm-hmm. they're very similar games, yep. um, but it's very much, you know, the whole point of the board game is you've got the kids making the list of instructions. There you have the grown-ups do it. It's very important. The grown-ups are not making the list of instructions, the, the, or the kids get to order the grown-ups around, and that's part of the reason that the board game's good. <laughs> right. Unless uh, the kids yeah. feel a sense of, of control, too, which is really good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so Papert, uh, so he's got a couple of great books. Uh, Mindstorms is fun, and that's that's the one he wrote not long after he started doing this, and so he was still young and fiery, and he thought everything was going to work out right, and then he's got another great one called The Children's Machine, which he wrote decades later when he found all the stuff that went wrong. Uh, they're both great books. <laughs> um, but he talks about having, you know, taught this way for decades in the classroom, and one of the cool things about Logo, about motion, is you get a lot of kids working together that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see working together on programming. I mean, um, in in this modern world of ours, if you say, oh, you got, you know, you're teaching programming to kids and you imagine the guy who's going to be front center, front row, sitting like this, like, yes, this is my thing. And okay, yeah, I mean, that that, that kid, sure, he, he tends to enjoy it. Um, what's interesting in when, when Papert's telling these stories, is he's got that kid and he kind of figures it out. And if you work at it for a while, that kid figures out that some of the other kids have a sense of flash and showmanship and motion that he doesn't. Like that kid, okay, he's got the math, he's got the programming, and suddenly he realizes that like these other people who aren't aren't supposed to be as good as me, they're making stuff that's better than me, what's going on? Uh, And he talks about a wonderful cooperation between that kid, effectively, and uh, a guy who's a dancer. A guy who's not a not a tremendous programmer, but he's a dancer and he has a natural sense of motion. And so when you hand him a programming language that is all about where you move, he can figure out what's graceful. And these two kids basically getting together and managing to put all of that together. Yeah. And when you have a programming language with a strong sense of body and geometric intuition, like these things can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's important for later in life. I think you know the whole teamwork aspect of these things is critically important for being successful in careers. Um, and it was it, having had twins, it was really interesting to see how, uh, even though they're twins, they're vastly different in understanding and application and things like that. But they were able to to 
pool those talents to produce very remarkable things. And that was really interesting to get to see that develop through their, their um, childhood, um, you know, firsthand. And it's, I think that's kind of what you're, t some of what you're talking on with those stories is how these different talents that different people have can come together uh, and make, you know, basically synergize to two plus two equals 12. Yeah. A lot of the kind of right, wrong paradigm, you know, we have a specific thing we're doing. We're going to grade you on how fast you get through it in school. It does really limit collaboration mm -hmm. because when your goals are really tight and really prescribed, yeah, like it, it seriously limits collaboration. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the second book, in the in the children's machine, Papert sort of talks about the immune system of the educational system and how it worked to prevent actual learning happening. You know, for for a little while, he could have the computer in the back of the room, and you had a bunch of kids who would just like mess with it and mess with it and mess with it and and learn some really interesting stuff. And eventually, the the uh, classroom was able to build a computing curriculum and separate all the computers into the computer lab, so you couldn't touch them most of the time, and give you a set of specific limited tasks, so you didn't learn too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and that's I I think I think a lot of us that homeschool have that kind of sense of we still see that limitation a lot in in the public schools and we think that there's better ways to instruct and and broaden children's minds and get them to understand things that are going to help them in the world rather than just what are going to help them pass a test. Well, it's it's interesting because if you look at uh, Silicon Valley and the people who found the big companies, uh, if you go back to like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs era, they're dropouts. They're mm -hmm. people that have some some university but stopped partway through. There's a wonderful satire version of a, of a Steve Jobs uh, uh, commencement speech mm -hmm. where he he basically says, "Oh yes, looking out at all of you, it's too late for you. You've already graduated. <laughs> None of you are going to be the people who found the big companies, right? <laughs> There's still time for some people, just not you, uh, right?" And in the same way, if you look at like Google and the then the newer generation, um, they're not necessarily dropouts, but they're all from non-traditional schools. They're from Waldorf schools. They're from Montessori schools. They're from these things that do not do the more standard educational curriculum. Right. Um, and so, not only do you see things like twenty somewhere between twenty-five and fifty percent of of uh, Montessori graduates go on to to become entrepreneurs and found their own business, but also a lot of the most successful businesses are founded by these these folks. Mm -hmm. um, on the one hand, it does not prepare you to be an employee, and on the other hand, there are some pluses to that. Well, yeah, I think it's it's a difference in in thinking paradigms. Like school teaches you rote thinking, just repetitive. This is how I do it. Thinking. Whereas these other kinds of education teach you, here's a problem, figure out some way to fix it. And that's what you need in a career, because especially in a development career. And that's, that's why I think that these, these two concepts are, work really well together. Because in a development career, the whole point is, here's a problem, figure out some way to fix it. Yeah. Well, and I, I'd go even farther. Um, because being an employee, you know, if you say it's what you want for a career, um, a lot of the the friction I often have with jobs in general, I mean, I love Shopify. Shopify is one of the better places I've ever worked. But in general, a lot of the friction I have is because so much of a career is about gaming the rules. 
It is about mm -hmm. having strong constraints. If you do something that is considered beyond your purview, if you do something that's beyond your role, they don't say, oh, wow, you understand even better. You, you're doing fabulous things that are far beyond it. They go, no, you know, what, we gave you a job and you're screwing it up. What's wrong with you, man? Right. Did we you're... tell you to make a business relationship with another company? No, we told you to debug this code. The code's not right. debugged. What's wrong? You're, um, you're messing up my thief here. Just so. Just so, and you know, when I say that that you know, it's not necessarily doing a good job of teaching you the skills that you need to be an employee. What I mean is, a sense of perspective is a massive liability for most people in most situations. Yeah, exactly. Especially uh, as the companies get bigger, because they get more bureaucratic, and more people are worried about their little, their little area, their little tower, and you know, that that doesn't encourage a lot of out of box thinking. And what you start. It what you start seeing is the companies that do encourage this out of the box thinking like companies like 3M or, you know, um, um, who was it that had the skunk works? Um, Oh, like Lockheed or somebody. Lockheed. Yeah. yeah. They, they come up with just amazing things. People just do absolutely amazing things. And most of them are things that they were not tasked with doing. Well, the thing about a skunk works is that they're doing an interesting different trick there where they understand that mostly what they do doesn't work for creativity. And so they specifically draw a big box around it and say, the rest of the company who are toxic to creativity, nobody touch the stuff in this box. Right. It's, I mean, it didn't it, Steve it, Jobs, when he was designing something, take hmm. the team off site? I can't remember what, what, what product uh, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's like, all right, we're going to remove ourselves from <laughs> the machine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was back when he was dictatorial enough that he could just steal a bunch of the best people from every other project that was going on. Um, but not, uh, not when he was so established that he could just do that and they'd let him. That was essentially the sort of thing he got fired for. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. well, and again, it's the same thing, right? Like the problem with doing things much better than anybody else does is almost by definition, you break structure and offend people. Yeah, true. So we, we're, we've talked some about how, um, how these patterns develop in children and how they learn and, and, and the, the different methodologies for teaching. How do we work development programming into that? You know, if I'm a dad and I want to teach my kid better ways to think, how does programming help with that? Oh, my experience with my oldest is similar to a thing I've seen with a lot of other dads. So he's not going to go out into the world and go, I'm going to be a programmer. He's really not. If, any, if he's doing that with anything, he's going to be an artist. And he spends an awful lot of hours a day drawing, which is fine. Like, mm -hmm. we're, a, we're a wonderful... Uh, neuro atypical family and as long as he's got an autistic fixation we're happy with him it doesn't have to be the same as ours sure um but uh but what's starting to make him pay attention is that he played stardew valley for a while mm. and to really speed run stardew valley you need a spreadsheet and it's not wow. just a spreadsheet you need to start looking at how things are programmed because once you really want to know where all the balls of clay are because they're one of the expensive early game items. You need to see how it arranges the balls of clay mm -hmm. using the data files that the game has for that. And so it's convincing people to use computers for their own sake is almost always a losing deal. Yeah. Like code is kind of repellent to, to people early on. 
like code is not a way people naturally think mostly occasionally you meet somebody like that but you can't sure. bet on raising somebody like that even if you do right um and more more to the point um programming tools are terrible programming tools are just across the board it's not that every programming tool is terrible but there is no major programming task you can accomplish without using at least one terrible tool it's, yeah there's not like right. very rarely do you meet a non-terrible tool um and so what you need is something they care enough about to use a terrible tool to do it. And luckily, luckily, that's the kind of thing you do in, in home education all the time. I tend to say home education rather than homeschooling is what they say over in the, you know, in the UK. Yeah. Um, that's a, the that's a thing in you know, homeschooling you do all the time because you're, you're constantly asking yourself things like, how do I get the kid to wash the dishes? It's not because washing dishes is so appealing. Like it's, it's not going to happen one way or another. You're looking for a different motivation than, than the dishes being inherently satisfying. Yeah. Um, unless you just happen to have that kid. And that kid's going to have problems <laughs> with other things, even if they love, love, love dishes. Like something right. or other, the kid's going to need some, some persuasion. Don't think I've ever met that kid, but I'd love to have that kid. You say that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try. I haven't met I haven't met the dishes kid, but I've met the kind of kid that is neurotic enough to do that. And yeah. there are there are downsides, right? Yeah, oh sure. Well, everybody's you know every person has their demons to fight, and everybody has their awesomeness. So there's always two sides to a coin. So when you were saying like a, a terrible tool, do you have an, like an example of a terrible tool or something, some aspect of a tool that is terrible in some way to you? Many, 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 but I'll, I'll start on, on, and at some point you can stop me. So uh, if, if you decide you want a lot of this, watch anything by Brett Victor. Brett Victor is not by inclination a programmer. He just has a bunch of stuff that requires him to use programmer tools to do it. And so he will give you the comprehensive version of this that we don't have time for. So for instance, for instance, let's take one of the best tools for visual processing that we have, something like processing.js, uh, sorry, p5.js, or, or processing in Java, take your pick. If you were going to have a tool like that, where what you are doing is visual programming, geometric programming, it's something vaguely logo-like, and you can tell it to make a, make, a, make a triangle, make an arc, you know, you can tell it to do things like move over this bar. Um, it's the standard kind of, kind of visual programming stuff that actually exists in the real world, which is to say it's terrible. Um, how is it terrible? Well, pretend you were going to try to teach somebody about it like it was a tool. And so you say, draw a triangle. How do you draw a triangle? Well, it presents you with an empty text field. Now, it's one of the best that we have, so you can just say triangle and then give it some numbers. And by the time you finish that, you have a triangle. What numbers? Well, if you give it some of the obvious numbers, if you take, I don't know, zeros and ones or something, something you can type either tens, you may not get anything visible. In fact, very often you won't get anything visible. So you go to the end of typing triangle, whatever, and picking a bunch of numbers. How many numbers? Eh, it'll give you some hints, but mostly you don't know. And by the end, you have something with no real idea how to fix it, not an easy way to adjust it. It's the wrong color, and you have no idea how you would add colors to it. It's in a weird place, and you don't know how to change what place it's in. That's the best tool that we have. That's the easy one that holds your hand. That's the one that has a specific development environment designed to make it easy to draw triangles. If, God forbid, you try to do that in HTML, now you're going to write out this big thing where you have to put head and body and stuff like that, and nothing appears because you have to save it in some place, point a browser at it, get it to load it, get it to make an empty document which doesn't look like anything, and now you can figure out that you need to add an SVG tag before you can make a triangle using right. a bunch of move-to statements and just visualizing the numbers in your head. This is how bad our tools are. Yeah. And I think it it, it kind of strikes me as weird that back in 1960, what was it, 67, we could have something as elegant as Logo, and 60 years later, we're, we're dicking around with stuff that's worse than that. 
And I, I that that surprises me. One thing I will say though is that over my lifetime, it the the languages, the forms of the languages, the programming languages seem to have gotten significantly better. Um, for instance, Ruby is while while not perfect, it's a beautiful language to program in because it's it's intuitive, and it does a lot to kind of help you out with. Hey, I think this object should should do this thing, and so I I'm going to guess it has a method called do this thing. And a I'm lot gonna, of times you're right. I'm going to offer to make you sad, and as soon as it's the wrong kind of sad for this show, you stop me. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so I love Ruby. I mean, I work on Ruby. I work on the Ruby language. I work in Ruby. I love Ruby. I am I am so the target audience for Ruby. Pretend for a moment that we were going to give Ruby the same treatment I just gave to P5JS. Mm -hmm. How do you start on Ruby if you don't already know Ruby? Well, yeah, you're that's... install it. You're going to have to install it. Don't yeah. get me started on that rant compared oh. to P5JS and trying to get it to, to draw a triangle. And that's before you get to do anything. Yep. How hard do we have to pass the marshmallow test for this profession? Like, how hard do we, how good do we have to be at delayed gratification? To, oh, to starting yeah. Ruby. I mean, I love Ruby. I oh, love yeah. Ruby. And in some ways, it's very beginner friendly in some ways. Yeah. But like, no. And that's the thing is that we have had the entire profession captured by people who do only this all day, every day. And so when you say, oh, well, it requires, you know, weeks of hideous effort learning things that you don't want to learn and to, to sort of just barely get your foot in the door to get the thing installed at the beginning, you say, eh, I only did that once. Seemed fine to me. Right. And and that's kind of the thing I've noticed over my career, actually, since I was a kid, you know, starting playing with with COBOL and, and basic and, you know, getting an apple and, and making a little square bounce around the screen after, you know, three days of copying code out of a book you know, <laughs> and, you know, go to statements and nothing. You couldn't really read that. I mean, you could if you really knew code, but a normal person couldn't read that code. Um I th that's why I'm saying I think the form of the programming languages has gotten a lot better. So it's gotten a lot easier to get the plane off the runway, but getting the plane to the runway still isn't pretty, <laughs> right? Ruby does not beat the Apple II out-of-box experience for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I it pains me to say it. Yeah. Really and truly, it pains me to say it, but it's true anyway. Yeah. As an endorsement of that, my son is going to be pursuing programming. We'll we'll see what he does in terms of. It looks like that's. I mean, that looks like the first career he wants to say. I'll say it that way to give a try, and so he's going through a Ruby program, uh, and I don't mean a program, but like an educational program, hmm. and. They're teaching him, okay, we're going to put your code on GitHub. So you got to sign up with GitHub and set your machine up so you can send code to GitHub and set up the machine with the version of Ruby needed. Those steps, the, the pre-flight checks, whatever you want to call it, he's pulling his hair out. When he yeah. finally gets to write code, he's like, thank goodness, I'm done with it. You know, <laughs> he's like, he just wants to code. I still uh, do that after 25 well, I mean, years of What I told him, he's not alone. <laughs> and every other developer, almost every other developer I talk to, they just want to code. They hate all this admin-y stuff. 
So basically, that's an endorsement of what you're talking about. Yeah. Getting to the point of being able to produce something. Yeah. So then your, your question about how has it gotten worse? Oh, that thing's frozen. Um, no. Okay. No, we're, still here. we're, we're here. good. Okay, uh, good. Your question about how has it gotten worse? Um, I mean, uh, Chris, I get the impression you're somewhere in the big neighborhood of my age. You've been around a while and Preston for some of the yeah. things you've said. You can't be too far off. Yeah. You've watched it happen in real time. Have you paid attention? Have you seen who, who benefits from this? Because things not being able to all run on the same operating system, Microsoft fought very hard for very many years before we got to the web, which isn't perfect, but beats the out of out of how the situation used to be. Um, and Microsoft fought very, very hard to make that hard. And Apple, which yep. sells a, a giant dongle, which we refer to as a laptop, and that's you know that's where their money comes from. <laughs> right. um, but you can't run it all. You can't run the stuff off an Apple, and they don't want you to. Um, you know, is is playing the same game. Um, I, I I love Apple products. I buy Apple products. I work constantly on Apple products. They're playing the same game. That is where their money comes from. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that Linux doesn't exist, but like we've been waiting an awful lot of years for this is the year of Linux on the desktop, right? Like one way or another, that hasn't that hasn't necessarily worked out that way. Right. Um, not mainstream anyway. Well, when you try, it's to level use... of effort to get to an, the out of out of box experience of Microsoft or Apple. Is worse. <laughs> it's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I use I use Linux as my daily driver. So like, so I'm already there. I've been there for years, um, and I love using it. But you know, they're still way behind. You know, Apple products and Microsoft products, and don't even get me. And even the simplicity of like iPads, iPhones, um, Chromebooks, even. So, and and I wonder what. So, what things do we? Because there's some concerns I've had about you know we we need another generation of programmers coming behind us because all of us are going to retire at some point and somebody's got to take the torch here. Um, but if it's so complex that you can't get kids interested in it then what kinds of things can we do as professional developers to help another generation be interested in this and find the same passion and, and desire that we have for it, right? Because they're starting in a much different place than we did. I'm going to give a very self-interested answer from my own perspective. Again, stop me as soon as you're bored. Um, so there's a reason I work on Scarpe. It's not that, you know, rebuilding wise, you know, UI toolkit is, is, uh, is in and of itself all that. I mean, it's it, it's a good toolkit. It really is. But like, GUI apps. Like, how, how many how many GUI apps do I write? And for a long time, the answer has been very few. And suddenly, that that, that number is a lot higher because I'm working on Scarpe all the time. But no, the thing is, um, the way you bust through these corporate uh, patterns that come from a incentive that come from money incentive patterns, the way you break, the way Linux broke through as the big server operating system, the way that you, you break through these sort of things that look like an economic requirement, um, is you find something that's cheap enough that you can get people to do it out of love. And then you just bust a hole in the wall like the Kool-Aid men, um, <laughs> one, one way or another, you find a way to do that. Yeah. Um, the web, the web made great inroads that way. 
Like I, I love how the and yeah, it's got its own capture by the by the ad companies and its own set of incentives and yada yada yada. But one thing it does give you, one way it did bust through the wall like the Kool Aid Man, was that you can write websites that kind of more or less work, kind of more or less everywhere, enough, um, and you can say, well, I, no, I've I've used that. Like that doesn't work. And I'd say, sit and write native apps on Linux and Mac and Windows and mobile apps. Do that. For six months and then you get back to me on whether the web has kind of sort of done that like really truly it's a different era than it used yeah. to be you you rewind 20 years like it's just better where we're yeah. standing now really oh, yeah. and truly and better than that you know we're we're building scarpe on webview as our primary platform we also got wasm but you know webview as our primary platform and kind of like electron think of it as sort of stripped down budget electron um you know you, you write it in html uh, and the thing about writing in HTML, I, I don't think HTML ever gets enough credit for this, because I used to work at NVIDIA, I used to work on native apps, I used to do all this stuff, and it made me unhappy, deeply, deeply unhappy, is that HTML has provided a serializable format for graphical user interfaces. It's not the best. Well, okay, no, let me let me go back on that. It's not perfect, but it is the best, because no, no, almost no other has ever been produced, and the other ones are terrible, so it is actually the best, it's just not very good. Um, <laughs> right. But the thing is, if you want to test, because testing, testing these things is horrible. Testing mm -hmm. these things was awful. You'd have you'd have little armies of people doing it. You know, the more QA people who would go through and do all the same things to all the same versions of the program with all these tiny little tweaks you made, and they'd retest the whole damn thing every time over oh, and over. Gross. Those poor, poor people. <laughs> um, and okay, we still have some of those, but like with HTML, you can you can do run assertions on the program first. So if anything is egregiously horribly wrong, you can catch it in advance and make them you know make you fix it before you get to wasting weeks of their time. Right. Um, so yeah, having a serialization format for GUIs, it turns I don't think HTML gets nearly enough credit for that. But when I talk about you need something cheap enough that people can do it for love and then bust through the wall like the Kool Aid Man, the web, the web didn't just make it cheap to publish. Because we're we're discovering how little publishing means until you can search for it. We're discovering that complete capture of the search engines makes publishing worth what you paid for it. Yeah. Um, but we've got a serializable GUI format. We didn't used to have that. We've got a portable app library that runs everywhere. We didn't used to have that. You know, we're we're suddenly we're suddenly at a point where that wall is not so thick. With some work, we can bust through like the Kool Aid Man. I don't know that Scarpe is going to be the one that busts through, but I'm. There's a reason I put way too much of my spare time. I mean, I, I also have three kids. I put way too much of my spare time into Scarpe because Logo is a great example of where we have failed our little world. Mm -hmm. We used to have a thing that you could run more or less everywhere and you could, you know, you could download an interpreter without too much trouble. Go find a Logo interpreter. They're hard to find. They don't work well. We have, we have betrayed Logo. We have been an unworthy steward of what mm -hmm. Logo has provided us. Yeah. Um, and it's not just logo. Logo is a symptom, not the not the disease. But like, it's really hard to put together a little thing that works everywhere. But you're starting to see the little flowers bloom. You're yeah. starting to see the things you know come come through the wall. Um, sit and use Dragon Ruby. Have you messed with Dragon Ruby? Oh yeah, that's what I do. The Cave Lords in every Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! So you know about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, you're starting to see these things where you can write it once and it runs in a whole bunch of places and it works decently. Right. You know, Dragon I was going to say the the game development tools, out of necessity, they're kind of pushing that because mm -hmm. you want to write your game one time, and run it and be able to get on all the platforms everywhere. Yep. Unity's yep. not perfect, but man, Unity's better than what we used to have. Dragon Ruby's not perfect, but man, it's better than what we used to have. 
Um, yeah, that was one of the big plan. draws for, of Dragon Ruby is the fact that, hey, you just run the publish and all your bits and pieces are out there like they need to be. You just upload them. And in fact, it'll do a lot of the uploading for you in some cases too. But um, so, you know, it's it's that that kind of automation and, and the concept of thinking these things through to make people's lives better to do more out-of-the-box things without having to think about all the mundane stuff um, is is good. Uh, Poto says, yeah, I settled on DR because it's just one click away from getting an EXE file, right? Yeah, I yep. mean, that's a big deal. And, and yeah. Sire brings up a good point, too. When I was asking about, um, you know, how do we make these things more accessible to kids and get them more excited about it, uh, would that be where AI steps in, as much as I don't want to see that? I think AI has has some interesting concepts but it i i I see ai as kind of a two-edged sword right now anyway in in the state it's currently in um it can do some fun cool things and maybe that's there's some fun cool things that kids could do with that um like i've got a daughter who wants to be a novelist and she's having fun just kind of exploring um Hey, write me a paragraph about this and this and this and getting ideas from that and that kind of thing. That's that's pretty cool. Um but you know, there are serious flaws with uh trying to get programming and development done by AI because it doesn't think about things like security flaws and and you know, all the potential gotchas and how is a human going to use this? How are, you know, what kind of things might a human do to break this? Where do I need safety nets? Um, and I I see that as if you get a child into it that way, they won't develop the capacity to think about those things because they'll think about it like the AI does, and that's they'll they'll learn to think that way. I draw that line in a slightly different place because um, do you remember the old XKCD comic? Where, where somebody is talking about uh, how they send text messages all the time and talking about how terrible it is that kids use, you know, text message abbreviations. And, yeah. um, you know, they'll never learn to write that way. And the guy says, seriously? I want you to imagine. Imagine that there was a generation that grew up with a ball in one hand all the time. And they spent all their time bouncing the ball up and down, throwing the ball to each other, messing around. Do you really think, regardless of how bad their form was compared to people playing serious baseball, that that generation would grow up worse at baseball than a generation that didn't do that? <laughs> really? And I, I think there's, ab there, there's, there's not only something to that, like that's, that's seeing the core of it. Um, if you could use it to make programming more accessible and specifically the kind of thinking you do in programming more accessible, that could be beautiful. And the reason that I think AI is not gonna do that not anytime this this decade maybe next decade we'll see how it goes the reason we're not going to see ai do that is because all the incentives point the wrong direction so like i i am extremely enthused about ai for github copilot the current one not the chat one uh and extremely against chat gpt and it is not about the quality of the large language model underneath it is not even vaguely about it the thing is that you can have the ai in a hands-off way just write a whole bunch of stuff and then click accept which is terrible and I'm against it. It's how, that's, that's how chat GPT is generally used. They're having something that can't think and can't take responsibility think for you, which is horrible. Mm -hmm. Or you've got GitHub Copilot. One of the massive underrated features of GitHub Copilot from my point of view, something that makes it far and away the best LLM I've seen is that it's constantly wrong. 
it's used as an autocomplete and it's almost always wrong. And when it miraculously produces a whole paragraph of code at a time, not a page, just a paragraph, you go, oh, 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 fantastic. And you ignore the fact that it was wrong the previous six times and just completely way off base and you just kept typing. <laughs> and the advantage of that is that you're very much still engaged in the process. It is not an Uber self-driving car where you, you know, stop paying attention to it for an hour and then it hits a pedestrian. It is doing something, but it, it never takes control away from you because it's almost always wrong and you treat it like it's almost always wrong. And that's mm. fantastic. And since the incentives are all wrong, they're pushing GitHub constantly to stop doing that and make it more like ChatGPT, which they are. Yeah. Well, and that's the part I'm worried about, like with ChatGPT as a, as a, uh, exposure to especially younger children who are learning how to think in logic terms, right? Because that's not something you're, I mean, I guess it, that's a developed skill. That's a learned skill, thinking logic. You, you don't learn, you're not born with if loops and while loops and stuff. You don't think like that. So if you get into habits of this is the right way to write code because that's how I've learned from chat GPT, I think that that stunts a bit of thinking growth there. Um, while, while I think it, well, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that's a whole series of, of conversations we could have uh, with the psychology well, well, behind no. that. What, what I mean is, is simpler than that. Pretend that you were trying to teach people to play the piano. Uh -huh. And for the vast majority of the time playing the piano, like it's not really about, you know, it's about learning to move your fingers the right way. The vast majority of playing the piano, like you're bad at it because you're bad at moving your fingers. What if you had this little like robotic assist that would allow you to program in patterns of thing, you know, of how to move your fingers and you could just hit a button and it would play, you know, a couple of measures for you and you could hit another button. The reason that would be bad is because you would never learn how to move your fingers properly. It takes all the early stages out of the process completely. And so you never learn them. Yeah. The problem with learning to program by chat GPT is that you will take all the early stuff where you're making your own mistakes out of the process completely. And that makes the learning curve vicious for step one. Right. And, and I think, well, and Poto brings up a good point here, Dragon Ruby. I, I think one of the things that's good about Dragon Ruby is it's very consciously not uh, putting up a, this is the way you do things. It's very much a, this is a uh, structure, figure out how to do it. It makes you think. It makes you stretch your, your thinking muscles. And that kind of thing is what I would, what I've tried to do with my kids in different areas, not just programming, but that's, that's one area where I think programming is really, really good. Um, I, I think music has the same benefits because music, because it's a mathematical function, is very good at, at getting children younger minds to think in abstract and logical ways at the same time and programming is very good at that too i think it's one of the one of the better tools for that kind of thinking training so and, and i think dr is a does that very well in that here's a framework figure out what you can do with it and so I'm all in favor of, you know, simpler frameworks, but I'm also all in favor of making mistakes. You know, it's, oh, yeah. yes, you know, ChatGPT is going to produce some dubious quality code and for a variety of reasons. That's that's not what I'm as worried about. I am worried about people using it without paying attention to it. The whole, uh, you know, from the 50s, the IBM uh, things where they point out that a machine can never take responsibility for making a decision. And so you must never treat the machine as though it is taking responsibility for making the decision. Um, 
but um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Now, Dragon Ruby is a is a standard programming environment. It's a good one. I'm all for taking some complexity out of the programming environment. Mm -hmm. Learning a basic thing before you learn a more advanced thing is a really good idea. And having yeah. anything with some some immediate you know gratification, some immediate feedback is fantastic. You know, we have far far too little of that. Um, Scratch actually is fantastic. Scratch is unbelievably good because it's a full strength small talk programming thing combined with immediate gratification. But if you look at the failure mode for Scratch, if you look where that tends to fall down, it's extremely educational. The kids tend to use it for making little music videos and they love drawing with it and they love doing the flipping costumes and they do really simple animations and very little else, which also just happens to be exactly where the tools are really good and they stop using it where it starts being programmer quality tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're kind of talking down two sides of the same track here in that my, my concern with, with chat GPT is more at the younger end of starting to introduce people to program younger minds to programming. If you're not careful, if you don't have some influence that says, okay, it's good to get examples from here. It's good to look at this, but you need to think about these other things as you're looking at this. If, if, you just turn them loose with AI, I think they're going to have problems developing that level of critical thinking because they're not going to know that this is not quite correct. They're going to think, this is how it's done. Uh, and they're going to miss some of that other thing. So, so looking, so when I look at this artificial intelligence thing, like when you're thinking about self-driving cars, it reminds me of you're giving, you've given the keys of the car to a 14-year-old. So they know enough to kind of keep it in the lane to kind of go down, but suddenly they do weird stuff. It's like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, and experienced drivers saying there, whoa, what are you doing? Don't, don't do that. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like the car suddenly tries to go in the other lane and they gets confused. It's exactly like a underage driver would be. Mm -hmm. Similarly with programming. Ironically, they try to teach it all this stuff through experience, but yet it is a childlike mind and or an inexperienced mind, actually, the discernment, it just isn't there. So it gives yeah. you, a, I think this may be it. I don't know. You know, so it throws it out there. And that's that's exactly what I think when you were talking, Noah, about uh, GitHub Copilot. You're like, it's like this, I, hard to put an age, but say a 12-year-old gives you suggestions on programming as you're programming. That's why it's all noise. But then suddenly this... Um, it's like, whoa, that was a good suggestion. You know, it does happen. But then Kobay well, says, oh, it happens even with literal 12 year olds. <laughs> what, exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's a, that's that's a true statement. Envision, <laughs> that's how I envision these AI. They're just all this AI. It's as if they're too young. Yeah. But over well, time. So here, I'll, I'll explain where, where a certain bias on my part comes from, and you can decide how to, how to treat it. Um, so do you notice that AI is being hyped by most of the same people that hyped cryptocurrency, not just in the same ways, it's the same people doing it. Like we, we, we had a hype wave and suddenly the hype wave, you know, when the price dropped through the floor, all these people were unemployed and they just kind of moved directly over into hyping AI, like literally the same people. Um, and so I'll admit some of this is, is uh, fatigue from arguing with them. 
But in the same way that the cryptocurrency people were like, oh, well, we're going to fix all these problems. We're going to fix all these problems. And so you try to you try to spend your time arguing on the problems that are literally unfixable rather than the problems where in theory they might be able to fix them because they were, you know, some of the so you could just concentrate on the ones that are that are theoretically unfixable. Um, in the same way, the AI people, which again is mostly the same people, are saying, "Oh, the next generation will be better. Oh, the next generation will be better." So when you say it's like a like a twelve year old, what if you could, you know, what if you could make it like somebody who was a somewhat better programmer, um, or a somewhat better driver? And so the trick is to look at it, and and find those particular problems that would not be improved by that. Mm -hmm. The problem where the machine cannot take responsibility for the decision. It's not really about the quality of the driving, like. If I, as a driver, am outpaced at some point by a by a machine driver, pretend you could get a, a, a machine driver that was statistically, you know, better 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 as a driver than I am in some sure. way, um, totally imaginable. Um, I still don't necessarily want to be put on trial for murder for the machine running over somebody. Yeah, like if it's driving and I'm not, I don't really want to be put on trial for the machine committing murder. And that's where you get into a problem where it's not really about the quality of the machine's driving. I mean, in some sense, I'm better off, right? Because I'm less likely to be tried for murder than if I was driving. But in another sense, that's deeply, deeply unfair. And the problem there, the thing that makes that an impossible problem instead of just a bad problem, is that we hit that point where the machine cannot be held responsible for making a decision. Yeah. Um. So, oh man, we're running up on time here. We may have to do a, a part two of this discussion at some point, but um, one of the so. things, yeah, one of the things that I, that I kind of wanted to get maybe some final thoughts on is, um, you know, the, the, the whole topic of childhood development and programming um, and, and getting especially younger children kind of interested in this because it's good for their brains. It's good for, to develop different ways of thinking about problems in the world and, and team relationships and stuff like that. But it's, it's a hard thing to get them interested in because it, you know, looking at a screen full of code doesn't have the wow factor that you need to, to get, let's say a nine or 10 year old kid involved in it. You know, they're just going to see a mess and they're like, that's, yeah. I don't care what, yeah, but they're right. yeah it, I, I think that a lot of days I'm at work, so, you know, but, um, but how do you get, what are some ways you can think of just, just real quick of how to get kids, let's say in the eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old range to have that wow factor and say, oh, programming is actually something that I might want to investigate a little further. The very first thing I'd suggest is find out what they're interested in and look for a way to do that. If they like Minecraft, look at Minecraft mods. Uh, you know, again, my oldest liked Stardew Valley. And so at that point, the idea of coding to, to speedrun Stardew Valley was interesting to him. Like, it was a thing. Um, if they like if they like chatbots, I don't so much mean AI chatbots. It's like, you know, pretend you could write a chatbot to, like, harass your friends on Instant Messenger. That actually sounds pretty fun to me, and I'll bet there are kids who do. Like, great, do that. Uh, when, my, uh, when, when my oldest was five, he, he wanted to make My Little Pony videos. Like he wanted, we, we got into Scratch and he'd, he'd do a lot of drawing the pictures and I'd do a lot of the designing the motion and he'd, he'd tell me exactly like what things would happen in what order and I'd show him how to do it. He'd do a little bit for himself, but it took a while because first what he wanted to do was spend a lot of time drawing My Little Ponies and like doing little animations with them and it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and it, he learned a lot that way. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. You meet them where they are because you can make somebody better able to do something, but you can't make them want something. And so right. you've got to find something they already want. Yep. Awesome. Well, Noah, I really, really appreciate you spending time with us, and I really enjoyed that chat. And like I said, I think I think we're going to have to do a part two or part 
three or part 12 of this. Um, because there's, there's a lot of, of stuff to cover here and, and an hour is, is just scratching the surface. Um, and so I think I would look forward to having some more conversations like this with you. Um, so, uh, I hope, I hope you enjoyed that Noah chat. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you again, Noah, for being here. We, we very much appreciate your time. Time is a gift and we, we thank you for gifting some of it to us. Um, as I said, we are going to, yeah, we're, we are going to be making some changes to the rubber duck dev show. Uh, one thing is we're going to take a hiatus from live broadcasting um, because both of us have uh, some conflicts with timing going on. So we're still going to produce the show. It's still going to be the same format, but it won't be live at least for a while. Um, we will still occasionally do some live things probably, but it's going to be more ad hoc there. Um, this also gives us the ability to, um, to invite and have guests that are not in convenient time zones for this time, uh, which will be nice. Um, but, um, we, we just needed to kind of loosen up the restrictions there. Um, I'll just say the one thing that gets me anytime I try to do that, understand you still don't have extra time for video editing. You still get one. Oh, I know. I know. Good. Yes. And we're, and that's what we're, um, we're basically going to do this, but instead of hitting the stream button, hit the record button and then upload it. Um, because I still want this format. I still want this loose, casual discussion format without a lot of editing and stuff. It's just real people having a conversation. Um, so uh, expect that to come and possibly some other changes. I'm thinking about doing some shorter form video things and, and adding some more content to the channel that's not going to take a crap ton of editing time. Um, because I've done that in the past and I know that'll burn me out. But... Um, so <laughs> I'm not, not going to do a lot of that, but, um, we will, um, y yeah, sire that it will lose the interactions. And I really do love those interactions. Um, but like I said, we will still do some live stuff here and there, and I'm not taking away the cave Lords, the Tuesday stream. I'm still going to do that live. Um, cause I, I do like interacting with you guys and I do really appreciate chat being here and, and participating, asking questions, giving opinions. That's, that's really cool. Um, so, but we're going to have to go through a little bit of, of, of reworking things here to, to fit our lives a little better. Um, but I very much appreciate all of you, um, and keep an eye on the social media. I will give you more information as we figure out in concrete details. Um, and we will have, but we will certainly have more, um, fun discussions like this. We'll be putting out some topics and, and getting some volunteers to talk about those topics to come on and guest on the show. And we think it'll be a lot easier for our guests to have variable times that they can do that. Um, so with that being said, uh, we hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure to like, subscribe, tell your friends. And as always, until next time, happy programming. Happy programming.